If you have your Bibles, you could open them up to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, both. But the first week that I spoke on this, we talked about how everybody was created in God's image. We're created in His image. And that's very a deep, a very layered concept that we are created in His image and what that means. But the couple things that it means is that every single one of us has intrinsic value because we are made in His image. Just being born, we have value above everything else here on earth because we are created in God's image. It doesn't matter what race, what nationality, what gender, we are all made in God's image. And uh, that's something to be known and something to be cherished and something to be um, thought about in all the different ways we're made in His image. And then we transition that first week into that we were made for relationships. That's one of the ways that we bear the image of God is that we were created for relationships. Um, We were made for it. God existed before time in relationship with himself in the Trinity. And you see that in Genesis 1, verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. Well, when, when God said that, who is he referring to? Let us. You know, he's talking about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they were there creating the earth. And they said, Let us make man in our image. And so you see here in the Bible, God the Father is living in communion with God the Son and God the Spirit. There wasn't no singular God that's living in isolation. It was a triune God living in Trinity and communion. And so, and we as humans, since we are created in God's image, we, we have that capacity for relationships. We were designed for relationships. Not just marriage, but we were designed for friendship. We were designed like the church which we are all part of is the body of Christ, right? So we are designed to be together in community, not off alone in isolation. And so the one thing we got from that is alone is not good. Being in isolation is not good. And so God, you know, the first time God said something isn't good is when he said man should not be alone. And you see that in Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And since God is personal and exists in relationships, he created man for the first time and declared that this alone man is not good. I need to create a helper. And so he created woman from man. And, you know, last Sunday, Michael and Jill were up here talking about marriage and and how marriage works in a Christian context. And and so today we're going to go a little bit further in defining marriage and what marriage means and, and all that good stuff. And our key text today is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 24, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can flip there or your device, but we're in Genesis 2, verse 18 and 24. We also have it up on the screens as well. So it says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. That was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So you see, he's like naming the animals, right? Like there's a zebra, there's a monkey, there's a giraffe, there's an elephant. No suitable helper was found. I guess on top of naming, he was also like, is one of these like going to be a good helper for me? Is one of these going to be a good, you know, lifelong friend? And even though dogs are man's best friend, 
they said there's no suitable helper. And so in verse 21, it says this. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And this is what Floyd was talking about earlier. And it says, while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now the bone of my bones and flesh my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Everybody say one flesh on three. One, two, three. All right, thank you. That's just my way of knowing that you guys are tracking, and so that's good. You get an A on that one. So, again, this is the second time in the Bible we see gender. In, verse, in chapter 1, he said man was created in his, his image. Male and female were created in his image. And then this is the second time we see gender. Male and female both created in the image of God. Adam was created out of the dust of the ground, and the first woman was taken out of the rib of Adam. And then they were made to reproduce and fill the earth. So that was the only time the ribs will be taken, you know, to make a man. And so they were both uniquely created. But this phrase is very important. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 24. Again, we'll go back. It says this. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. One flesh is a very important phrase. We see this a lot in the Bible. We see this all throughout this, this phrase here up here, like quoted oftentimes throughout the Bible. Um, Paul says it in Ephesians uh, 5, 31. It sa- he says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become? <laughs> nice. And then Jesus also quotes this Genesis verse in um, Matthew and in Mark. He quotes his verse um, word for word. And so because it's quoted by Paul and because Jesus said it a couple times, we know that this phrase is a very important phrase. And it's very important for us, um, for anybody in marriage, for anybody considering marriage, um, for anybody hoping to be married one day, it's all, it's a very important verse. You know, when it says he'll be united, it's, that Hebrew word is devak, and it means to be joined together. And so the other word is marriage, okay, or married together. Now marriage is a word that means a joining of two things. And if anybody here knows carpentry at all, you know that oftentimes if you make a table or a certain piece of carpentry or or furniture, you have to create what's called a marriage joint in the furniture. And if anybody's made a table with two pieces coming together, you know that there's a marriage joint. And so usually there's a way you put a wood biscuit in there and put some glue and you push it together and it creates a marriage joint. And so you take two pieces and now becoming one. And that's what this word is. You take a man and a woman and put them together, and they are now one flesh. They are not two separate. They are one. And so that's, that's really what we see in a marriage ceremony. We do this in our culture in a marriage ceremony. Um, it's called, you know, the Catholic Church called it the sacrament of holy matrimony. And that's where two people come to be joined. And that's what we do on a wedding day. That's what a wedding is all about, is two people coming before their family and their church family and committing, making a promise to one another and becoming one flesh. And so it's, they make vows to each other before God. They make a promise to God saying that I commit to be with this person for the rest of my life. 
I, I'm committing to be with this person and nobody else. And so we see this oftentimes. And, and really the first miracle that Jesus did, if you guys know, the first miracle Jesus did was at the, a wedding reception. And it was the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And, and there was, you know, you guys know the whole story. They ran out of wine and Jesus turned water to wine. And he um, did this as a way to signify how much a marriage ceremony. Like he was there celebrating with them at the marriage ceremony. So marriage is very important. And many times we think that marriage is a, like an American thing or that maybe it was created back in the 1930s or the 1840s. Marriage was created by God in the beginning of time. Marriage isn't a man-made thing. It's a God thing. And that's kind of the premise of this message today is marriage isn't man's thing. It's God's thing. Like, we didn't create it. We, we didn't create it from scratch. It's not something we came up with. It's not like a secular ordinance. It's God's thing created in Genesis chapter 2. And it's important to know it's a God thing and not a man thing. Because if it's a God's thing, then we who claim to be the people of God need to honor it. We need to respect it. We need to understand it. And we need to abide in it and fulfill our marriage vows the best we can. Marriage, if it's a God thing and not a man thing, is not open for interpretation or change. It's, it's is what it is. It's what God, our Lord, created it to be. And so I have three points on marriage that I'll share in a second. But these are kind of hot-button issues, all right? Like, these are like wrestle with it all week and think about it all week and talk to my wife about it all week when I prepare this message. But these are hot-button issues. They're not, they're not, this isn't like the easy, amazing grace type sermon to preach because all three of these things are so layered and could be sermons in and of themselves. So I'm going to breeze on them. And if we don't get done in time, then I'll just save it for next week because I'm preaching next week too. So we'll see. Um, But the other thing is that when I'm preaching on these, I'm encroaching on the enemy's territory in Muskegon. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Like the enemy has his territory, and really the thoughts on marriage is really the enemy seems to be winning, and the church in a way seems to be losing on that. And what it means, like, and and so when we encroach on the enemy's territory, it's going to get pushed back, and, you know, we've been conditioned to believe to do what makes you happy. To do what makes you happy. If something makes you happy, that's what you should go after. And that's good. Like, and live by your own rules. And that should not be so for Christians, right? We don't live by our own rules. We live our lives in obedience to God. We play by his rules, and God is king, amen? And that's kind of like the way it is. As we said, many people want to make Jesus savior of their life, but they don't really want to make Jesus lord of their life. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm okay with making him savior. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But to make him Lord, being that he's over my life and I have to listen to everything he says and I'm going to obey him as Lord, that's a different story. And when you sign up to be a Christian, when you sign up to be a partner of Jericho Road Church, you're committing not only to make Jesus your savior, which is great, but you're also committing to make him Lord too and surrender your life to his will. Does that make sense? Good. It's not about our rules. It's about God's rules. And when each person does what is right in his own eyes, chaos always ensues. If you ever want to do a study, you look up in the Old Testament, the people did what was right in their own eyes. And that phrase is used probably 50 times in the Old Testament. And every time the people did what was right in their own eyes, they fell into bondage, chaos ensued, and it wasn't good. And so we don't do what's right in our own eyes, right? We look to God's word and do what's right in his eyes. 
So we must seek God's rules. We must seek that for us Christians and live by them. Okay, so here are my three points. If marriage is God's thing versus man thing. And we believe that marriage is God's thing, right? Amen? Amen. Okay, so here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define these real quick. If marriage is God's thing versus man's thing. The first is this. If, it's, if marriage is God's thing, it's the uniting of a man and a woman. If marriage is man's thing, then there really is no rules, and it's open for change, and it's open, you know, no holds barred, basically. If marriage is God's thing, sex is sacred. Sex is sacred. If it's man's thing, sex is meaningless. It's nothing more than a physical act with no spiritual or eternal implications. And if marriage is God's thing, divorce is the absolute worst-case scenario. And if it's man's thing, then divorce is common and it's okay, and if it makes you happy, go do it. And so we see these, these two paradigms in our culture. And we as a people of God need to realize marriage is man's thing, and so, or God's thing, sorry, not man's thing. And so we will define these a little bit more. So I'm going to go to the first one. Is God's thing is this. Marriage is the uniting together of a man and a woman. One man, one woman. Um, it's not, if it's man things, then it would, it would absolutely be like no rules. Like whatever, whatever you want to do. And I was, you know, we're studying this. Uh, do you know in, you know, certain countries, right now in America, I was reading these articles about it. It's, we're, we're not that progressive. It's illegal to marry your dog in America. Do you guys know that? It's illegal. But not in other countries. Other countries have much more progressive laws on these things where you can marry your, your pet animal. Right? Like in Bali, you're allowed to marry your dog. In India, you're allowed to marry your dog. America's a little too old school for that. One day we'll get there. But you're allowed to do that. And, and really, um, half joking here, but those are, those are true facts. But really, if marriage isn't between one man or one woman— it could be between multiple men, multiple women. It could be between an animal and a man. It could be between two women or two men. And it could be whatever we interpret it to be, aside from what God wants it to be or what God intended it to be. And so we need to understand when it's created, it said a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. And, um, you know, the question is, is, you know, this gets into this, homosexuality conversation or gender identity conversation or trans conversation, all these different conversations, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's a big conversation. So why does the church tend to shy away from these hot topics of our day? Why do, and again, I'm familiar with churches, you know, I follow like 10 churches, I watch a lot of churches. Why do churches run from this topic? Like, why? Number, part of the reason is, is because the church is, like, church is love, right? Like, God is love. Jesus is love. The church is filled with love. We're a place of healing. And so, a lot of times, pastors are afraid to preach on this because they're afraid they're going to come across as unloving. So, if I preach that marriage is between a man and a woman, well, I've just ostracized, like, a bunch of people in our community who think it's okay for a man and a man or a woman to woman to marry. And that's not so. You know, you might say if you preach against this, that means that I hate the LGBTQ community. And that's not true. We as Christians are called to love. Speaking about God's design isn't hate, it's love. 
We are showing the truth. There's a truth. It's not my truth. It's God's truth found in the Word of God. It's not something I came up with. It's not something I came up with. But I want to say this. On the flip side, my goal as a Christian and your goal as a Christian is not to make gay people straight. That isn't your mission as a church. That's not your mission as a Christian. Is if you work with a uh, person who identifies as gay or, or trans, your goal isn't to, like, get them to be straight. And, like, that's like not your life's work. Like, that's not your concern right now. Like, your concern is to bring people to Jesus. Like, our mission at J-Road is to reach the lost, equip the found, send the willing. And what people, like, people's, whatever they do in their lost condition is between them and God, and it's not really our concern. Our concern is to bring them to Jesus. Do you know what I mean by that? So I say all that because I don't want to create a church whose mission is to argue and belittle or fight with the LGBTQ plus community, but I also don't want to be a church that seems confused on these issues. That if somebody asks you, what does the Bible say? You're like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just told that God loves. And it's like, we're not supposed to be confused. And it's not a confusing topic. And so, we want to be a church that, we don't want to be a church that creates this us versus them atmosphere with the people who identify as homosexual or trans. Like, we do not want to create this us versus them. And with our politicizing of everything in our nation and our communities, everything is like Republican versus Democrat, church versus, you know, this, this. And it's not the us versus them mentality. It's us trying to reach the world for Jesus. And so for those of you who have people in your life that may be gay or maybe trans, like your goal and mission isn't to try to straight, to make them straight. It's to bring them to Jesus. It's to show them, like bring them to Jesus, bring them to Jesus, share the gospel with them. Um, and that's our goal. Um, and, and, and again, that's, uh, that's the definition of marriage, the united of a man and woman, but also our goal isn't to do that, isn't to try to make gay people straight. One of, one of my best friends, I might have told you this before, one of my best friends um, is, is gay. Um, we were best friends growing up in the church. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. Um, he eventually got divorced from his wife and, and came out as gay. And I still love him. I'm still friends with him. We still hang out when I'm in town where I used to live. And, uh, you know, my job is to love him and, and, and keep pushing him to Jesus. And my main concern shouldn't really be his sexual orientation. It's to be if he's following Jesus or not. And if he's not, my goal is to just keep loving him back to Jesus. Hey, Jesus loves you. You stopped going. You, I know you divorced your wife and now you're living this lifestyle, but you also divorced Jesus. <laughs> and you're not following him. So, so come on. Like, you need to follow follow Jesus, and you need to get back and, and, and figure this out. And so I'm always pushing him. Um, my main concern is not for his same-sex attraction. It's for his relationship with Jesus. Because if that's broken, nothing else matters. And so without God's definition of marriage, we are left to create our own definition, and in a sense, create our own truth. And we said, as a church, we don't do that. Like, we don't have our truth, your truth, my truth, his truth. Like, we don't do that. We say there's one truth that's found in the Word of God, and that's where we base our life off of. Amen? And so, but there is reality that there's people that you live with or work with that struggle with this stuff. They struggle with same-sex attraction. I mean, I had many layered conversations with my friend who, who, is saint, who came out, and like I said, we're best friends. Um, 
we, we were best friends all through life, and he said, Jimmy, I struggle with this since I was a little kid. I, I, I was like, you know, what do I do with that? I don't know, but there's, uh, what I have to say is that each of us are created with a dispensation towards sin. Each of us are created with impulses, urges, and all this stuff. And that's, that's just a reality. Some of us are, are, are leaning towards becoming alcoholic. Some of us are leaning towards adultery. Some of us are leaning towards pornography. Some of us are leaning towards this, that, this, that. And we are all born with a sinful dispensation, meaning we're all leaning towards sin. And it's not about what you feel on the inside. Like, I would never ostracize a person who came to me and said, hey, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction, and be like, wow, you're weird. Like, no, we're, they, like, really, they could truly be born with that dispensation. But I'm not saying that they run towards it and fulfill it. Because if we follow Jesus, and we make Jesus Lord and Savior, then we do hard things with our lives that's not easy. And for some people that have those feelings or have these thoughts or have these struggles, their life as a Christian might be a hard lonely life and we as a church need to help them and support them and not say hey dude just look at a playboy you know look how hot those women are you know like that's not our job is to say that and that's not they don't have that choice a lot of people and so what i say with that on both sides of the coin is bring them to jesus and if somebody comes to you if somebody came to our youth group and said hey i'm struggling with this it's not going to shock me i'm not going to ostracize these people and I'm going to just point them to Jesus and love of Jesus, love of Jesus. And how they act on it or, pl- or play it out is a different scenario for a different sermon. Okay, now to the second point. If marriage is God's thing, sex is sacred. Okay, and if marriage is man's thing, sex is meaningless. It's really, you know, either, either it's God's thing, sex is sacred. If it's, if it's man's thing, sex is meaningless. And again, I think we get this picture that the church, you know, like sex is bad, sex is dirty. Um, It's not, you know, I don't know if you've heard this before from a pastor, but sex is good. God created sex. It's God's design, and it's good. Like, I would never say it's dirty or bad. You might get that impression because if I'm watching a show and that comes on, I turn the channel real fast because I want to see other people have sex. You know what I mean? Like, that's just the way we roll. We might have the vid angel on if we're watching a show. Um, But sex is God's design. It's good. And here's the order of marriage, according to the Bible. You leave your parents, you get married, and you become one flesh. On your wedding day, you become one flesh with your spouse. It's spiritual and it's physical. Don't tell me that you don't think that me preaching on this, there's this whole world out there that would think I'm absolutely insane to say that people should wait till their wedding day to have sex. Right? Think I'm absolutely insane. And dare I say, a good percentage of the church is like, whoa, that's kind of a hard saying. (laughs) That's kind of much. But that's how God designed it. That's God's design. It's good. And we need to figure out that way. We need to figure out how to live that way. So, leave your parents, get married, become one flesh on your wedding day. It's both spiritual and physical. Becoming one flesh is both physical and spiritual. Sexual intercourse is the physical aspect of the one flesh. It's the physical aspect of one flesh. But living as one flesh is our goal in marriage. 
So you have the, the becoming the physical aspect, but you also have the one flesh is an aspect that you and your wife live out every day as you become one. It's not easy, especially when you get married, whether you believe it or not. Anybody here can relate that the first year of marriage is like one of the hardest years of marriage? <laughs> because you have two sinners that are coming together and living together. For, and, you know, you have to forgive each other, and, you're, and you both have sinful fleshly desires and conflict, and so you have to work that out. That is part of becoming one flesh throughout your whole marriage. And so when I do marriage counseling, I say, how can we promote oneness in marriage? What are some, what are some oneness blockers in marriage? You know, we have to think about that. You know, again, uh, same checking account. People say, yeah, I want different, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying this is a sin. I'm just saying this is like a blocker to one flesh. It's like, hey, I have my checking account. She has hers. We don't mix it. Like, well, really, if you're one flesh, it's all one anyway, right? Your money's her money and her money's your money, right? <laughs> it's kind of the way it is. And if you have a problem with that, maybe you shouldn't have got married, right? <laughs> if you have a problem with her spending your money, because that's kind of the gig, right, guys, when you get married? Or women, when you get married, your money doesn't become your money, and his money doesn't become yours. Same bedtime, same hobbies, all those things. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> yes, it's not easy. But there is an order. But when you are on this stage getting married, and many, a couple of you have gotten married here on this stage or any other stage in a church before a pastor or, you know, wherever. When you get married, you are making a commitment. Um, you're making a promise for God to be with that man or woman for the rest of your life. That's a big promise. And God said it shouldn't be broken. And after that big, huge promise comes the physical part and the benefits of marriage, right? You have the promise, and then you have the benefit. But what we see in our society, and we see even the church, we want the benefit of marriage before the promise. And that's not God's order, right? Like, we want the benefit and the excitement and the pleasures of marriage without having to make any commitment whatsoever. I don't want to make commitment. You know? And so there is a proper order. And so in when you when you have when you consummate the marriage, you're becoming one flesh, and this order is important. And it shows that sex outside of the marriage covenant is strictly forbidden. It's considered a sin. And the Bible talks about this. Sex before marriage is considered normal in our culture and in the church. It wasn't always that way. We were in more of a Christian society. We're more in a post-Christian society. Back in the day, believe it or not, talk to some of our older folks, but back in the 50s, if two people were living together before they were married, it was considered a talk of the town, right? Like, if you saw two people living together before marriage back in, like, the 40s, 50s, it was considered the talk of the town. And now people are like, hey, you know, you got to live together before you're married. You got to try it out before you buy it. You know what I'm saying? And that's what the message of the world is, right? And that's not God's way. That's not what God has for us. And the church needs to get, get away from that and start to get back in God's order. And so it shouldn't be considered normal. See, when you have sex outside of marriage, you are seeking a way apart from God's plan. You are seeking to fulfill your pleasures without having to make any promise, right? And so young folks, you know, young folks, 
make a promise to keep the one flesh for one person. Make a promise to keep that one flesh for one person. And that's what God's design is. Ladies, if you want a guy, if a guy wants to become one flesh before marriage, so if a guy wants to become one flesh before marriage, he's basically saying, I want to see I want to receive pleasure from you without having to make a promise to you. Right? I want, I want all that you have to offer me in terms of pleasure, but I don't want to make any promise to you because I don't know if I like you. I don't know if I love you. I don't know if I spend the rest of my life with you, but I want the benefits. Right? Like, do we realize how backwards that is and how a lot of people could be saved from a lot of hurt and a lot of pain if they went through this proper order? I see it all the time. And so, man, if I, if I had daughters, and I have sons, but if I had daughters, I'd say, he wants what you have to offer, but he doesn't want to make any commitment to you. And I know he might say he loves you, and he might say, hey, move in with me, but when it comes to a ring, when it comes to a promise before God, heck no. I just want the pleasure. You know what I mean by that? And you know how that's, like, distorted? And, you know, <laughs> You know, you figure on, like, people are living together. They're, they're being intimate with each other. Like, what's the point of getting married at that point? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's what people say is, like, why, like, why did you want to get married at that point? And so I've seen this time and time again. If somebody's like, well, he doesn't want to ever get married. Well, you know, there's an old saying, if you're getting the milk for free, you're not going to want to buy the cow, right? <laughs> There's no point to buy the cow if you're getting the milk for free. And so if you're getting all the benefits of marriage without any of the promise, without any of the commitment, and you can leave at any time, you know, what's the point? And again, that's not God's way. That's man's way. So what do you do if you're living together or having sex and not married? Well, you do two things. Uh, in my opinion, you get married or one of you moves out of the house. You either get married or one of you moves out. I preached on this before at J-Road, and it was kind of like a side point in the message, and a couple came up to me afterwards and said, hey, we want to get married. Like, we realized from what you just said, like, we put two and two together, and we realized we need to get married. I'm like, that's awesome. Get married. I didn't ostracize them or make them, you know, do a thousand Hail Marys or something. I just said, hey, you were in the wrong. You want to make it right. God's in the business of forgiving. Let's do it, and let's, you know, and they got married, and it was awesome. You know, I've done 16 weddings since I came to J-Road. I've done 30 total. And when I, every time I do a wedding, I do pre-marriage counseling. And people come to me and want me to marry them. And if they are Christians in the church, oh, I'm sorry, if they are not Christians and they're not partners of J-Road, I don't make too big of a deal about this because my goal is to bring them to Jesus, right? So if people come to me, they're not Christians, and they want to get married. I don't make it too big of a deal about it. I just want them to know Jesus. So during the pre-marriage counseling, I point them to Jesus and how Jesus is all they need in life, <laughs> and they need him. And because I refer back to this verse, and this verse refers to a lot of things that I'm talking about today, but it's 1 Corinthians 5.12. It says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? And so it's saying, Basically, if they're not a part of the church, if they're not members here, if they're not Christians, I really, and my goal is to love them and bring them to Jesus, right? But for a couple that considers themselves partners of J-Road or regular attenders, they come to me and got, get married, and we're, we always do pre-marriage counseling, and so I, first question I ask, 
why do you want to get married in the church? Like, why don't you just get married somewhere else, like in a courthouse? Like, why do you want me to marry you? And they say, we want to do what's right before God. Okay. And then, and I'll ask, I was like, are you guys living together? And they're like, yeah, we're living together. And I'm like, well, I'm assuming you're having sex unless you guys have like different rooms or something. They're like, no, we're having sex. I'm like, well, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to not have sex until the wedding day. If you say you want to honor God, why don't you start now by honoring God with this marriage? And then usually they'll move into a different room of the house or one of them will move out. And, and I'll ask them. And, and it's usually, like they might lie to me, but I, if you're saying that you're a Christian and you're in the church and you want to do what's right before God, this is an easy step. And, you know, usually that works out great. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll you know, <laughs> one time I ask that question and the husband's like, yeah, I can do that. Or no, the fiance male is like, yeah, I can do that. And the wife's like, no, you can't. And I'm like, geez, you know, like started a fight right there. Um, and uh, I, I ask him that because I think it's important. I think it's important because if you want to honor God with your life, if you really want to get married, then you could wait two months until your wedding day. You could wait. And so I'll ask him to do that. Um, and here's a lie and a truth. I want to throw this in here. The lie is that, and it kind of goes along with our main point, but the lie is sex is just a physical act. And the truth is, Sex is two becoming one flesh. Again, if our society says it's no big deal, it's the same as like shaking hands, then you could see why it's so common, why STDs are on the rise. Because it's just, it's just a normal physical act with no meaning or no soul behind it. And so, you know, I think if we were being real, real about our culture, we'd say this is a norm. You know, condoms are given out to kids. People are encouraged to live together before marriage. Every movie and TV show, I don't care what it is, I watch a ton of TV shows, every movie and TV shows, sex is just like shaking hands. You do it on the first date, you do it when you're not dating, it doesn't really matter. But the Bible talks about that it has extreme spiritual implications. And that's why it's good, but it's meant to be in the boundaries of marriage, okay? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Paul says this, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. And then he builds this out. He's saying, whoever you become one flesh with, you're one flesh for life. And he's saying, think about this. Like the spiritual and physical implications. Yes, there's forgiveness. Yes, absolutely, there's second chances. But it is a serious um, sacred act. You are designed for sex and intimacy. That is good and happy. It's great. But we are designed to experience that in the context of marriage. So sex before marriage is a sin. Before God, sex outside of your marriage, if you're married, is a sin. It's adultery. Um, sex is sacred. So if you are here today and you fall in that camp, you know, we can instantly get right with God. Listen, We've all messed up, and Jesus said, there's, as long as you're still alive, there's still second chances. You haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Today is always the day to get right with God. Amen? And you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. You can make that right before God today. Either maybe you need to move out. Maybe you need to get married. But I'm saying, like, if you guys are living together and doing everything married couples do without the promise and commitment of marriage— you're kind of outside of what God wants you to be doing. And so it's a sacred act. 
I think it's important we talk about this as a church. I think it's important I spend so much time on this because a lot of times I talk to people in the church and it seems like there's a lot of confusion around this. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, people are like, like, they'll tell me, and like, used to be like kind of a secret around the pastor, but they'll just tell me these things. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm like, I'm not going to judge you, I love you, but if you're in the church, I think I have a role to challenge you to be the people God wants you to be. And I don't want there to be confusion about God's order in the church. And so my last point is this, and I promise, Bruce, don't shut my mic off, I'm almost done. Um, if marriage is God's thing, divorce is the worst case scenario. And if divorce, if, if it's man's thing, divorce is very common, Okay. Again, another example of the church being influenced by culture, the marriage union is where God, not man, joins two people together. And I just, as a pastor, I facilitate the marriage uh, ceremony, but the, God is the one who joins them together. And the reason we put so much importance on preparing for marriage, I do pre-marriage counseling every time I married somebody, is because marriage is for life, right? It's for life. And so you really want to be sure about who you want to marry. Think about who you want to marry. And is this the man you want to marry? Is this the woman you want to marry? Because listen, marriage takes work and it takes commitment. No marriage comes easy. It takes people dying to themselves daily to live in obedience with God. And divorce is common in the church and outside of the church, and it shouldn't be so. We get, um, we get divorce. Um, a lot of people get divorced because they say this, I've fallen out of love. It's one of the most common reasons for divorce. It's like, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. Or, I've fallen out of love. Do you guys know there's no such thing as falling out of love? There, love is a choice that you make. You don't fall in and out of love with your spouse. There's going to be days your spouse disappoints you. There's going to be days your spouse makes you mad. But you don't just wake up in the morning and be like, I don't love you anymore. That's a choice. That's like saying, I don't love God anymore. I just, I just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a choice to love your spouse every day and for your spouse to love you back. There's no such thing. It's not something willy-nilly you wake up out of and just say, I don't know, I don't love them anymore. But we get divorced, be- and we, some people say, because I'm not happy anymore. I'm just not happy. Listen, there's going to be a lot of days in your marriage where you're not happy. It's just the way it is. I'm not saying marriage is horrible, but there's going to be days you're happy, there's going to be days you're not happy. But when both of you come together out of obedience to God, you can feel, you can have a marriage that's filled with joy. Amen? It's not about, I don't know if I love you. I don't know if I'm happy. It ain't about that. I told my wife, Nicole, I'm going to love you no matter what. If I'm happy or sad, I'm not going to fall out of love with you. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to make that conscious choice. And so real quick, I'm going to read what Jesus says about divorce, and then we're almost done. Matthew 19 verse 3 through 9 says this. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And haven't you heard, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no man separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. 
but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So if you are here today and you've been remarried, this message isn't to defeat you. It's not to push you down. Um, There are scriptural grounds for divorce, and I understand that. There's scriptural grounds to be released from your marriage covenant. I totally understand that. But falling out of love, not being happy, finding somebody new, those aren't one of them, right? And heck, I would say even if adultery does happen, I say that you should work it out and try to work it out and make it work. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's good. But the marriage union between a husband and a wife is a picture of Christ and the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so do you know how many times you commit adultery on God every day? Like every day, and God doesn't say, oops, I got grounds to send you to hell. No. He forgives. He loves. He welcomes back. Our God doesn't say, oh, you sinned. You, you, you uh, committed adultery on me as your Lord. I'm going to send you away. No, he says, I don't care what you do. Like the prodigal son and the father, you're never too far from me. Amen? And so in marriage, it's not like that's like your get-out-of-marriage-free card either. It's a sacrifice. It's, husbands are called to die to themselves, and wives are called to follow their husbands, you know, into the fire. If you are thinking of marriage, find, and this is my big thing for single folks, if you are thinking about marriage, find somebody who loves Jesus as much as you do. That's the number one, in my opinion, the trigger for success or failure in marriage is this, did you find somebody who loves Jesus? Or did you find somebody who loves you? You know what? Um, I like that Nicole loved me, but my main concern is that she loved Jesus more than me. And my main, her main concern for me was that I love Jesus more than her. And because we both, the things I'm teaching about today, we both believe and we live out every day. We know that we got to forgive each other because of our obedience to God. We know we got to serve each other because of our obedience to God. We know that we have to do things we don't like. We have to sacrifice our own interests for each other. And that's what makes a marriage beautiful and healthy. If I said, I don't feel like it today, guess what? I'm never going to feel like it. (laughs) I don't feel like it today. I don't feel like doing the dishes. I don't feel like being a good husband. I don't feel like doing this. My marriage is going to stink. It's not about that. It's the joy comes from your obedience to God, fulfilling that, and the joy of marriage comes second. But it comes. And so if you are married, marriage is work. Love is a choice. And in my opinion, marriage is a great way to make us more like Jesus every day. Jesus forgives. There's a lot of forgiveness in marriage. Jesus serves. There's a lot of servanthood in marriage. And if you are here today and your spouse is not a believer, keep praying. Keep praying. You know, the Bible talks about that. Um, there's, there's passages about it. There's whole chapters about if your spouse isn't a believer. St- pray for your spouse Love them, serve them, keep praying for your spouse. That's basically what it says, love them and keep praying for them. But I want us as a Jericho Road Church to seek that one flesh marriage. Everything you do in marriage, you should ask, does this promote oneness or does this promote separateness, right? Am I going to pick up a second shift where I'm never going to see my spouse but one day a week? That might not be the best choice. I know if you have to, you have to. But if you're going to be away from your spouse that much, it might not promote oneness. So, I end this by saying this. I ask you as a church to, to make sex sacred in all ways. Don't view pornography 
in my opinion, I couldn't overstate this enough, pornography is from Satan, and it's meant to take down your marriages. It's meant to take down your homes. It's evil. It's horrible. Find accountability partner. Stay away from it because sex is sacred. We, you need to run as far as you can from that. Um, married folks, keep your eyes for your wives and your husbands. If you are not married and you already crossed the bridges that we talked about and you've already done some things that promotes one flesh, it's a good day to get right with the Lord. God is a God of second chances. He's a God to make things right. Do what's right before the Lord, and that's my encouragement to you today. So I'm going to pray. God, um, we love you, and we want to as a, be as a church that seeks, seeks you no matter what, to seek, um, to seek what you want, to seek uh, how you want us to live our lives, to seek how to promote one fleshness in our marriages. Um, God, there's a lot of things that are hard in our society. I mean, I, I, God, I pray for a lot of single folks that are looking for the right man or they're looking for the right woman, and it's so hard to find because we live in such a depraved society and so many people don't love you, so many people don't, they don't care about you, and so single folks are forced to just remain single or wait for the person you have, and that's a hard thing, God, and I pray for those folks. Um, God, I pray for all the marriages here. God, I pray that if there's any marriages that are struggling, that both husband and wife come before you and submit themselves to you and then submit themselves to their spouse and commit to just being Jesus to their spouse, loving them. And so, God, uh, we just commit this day to you. We just thank you that you are a loving, that you are a forgiving God who is never done with us, who always welcomes us back for a second chance. So, God, we love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Thank you, guys.